in, um, in our Advent season this morning. And uh, this morning we're in week two. Uh, we are uh, going to be talking about briefly uh, the indestructible hope that we have in Christ and, um, and what that looks like for us, what the scriptures say about that um, this morning, and how we can lay hold of hope in Christ and how that differs drastically from the hope of the world. Um, because the hope we have in Christ is so much different. It's, it's a stark contrast um, to the hope that is offered through the, through the world and through the culture. So uh, I want to just touch on a little bit of that this morning. I'm going to break, I'm going to uh, kind of bring a little bit more succinctness to the message um, as we're as we've kind of gone a little further in in our worship this morning in our time of prayer and ministering together so um, so uh, I want to just start in prayer this morning uh, and I just want to start briefly in Psalm uh, 119 I've been kind of quoting the psalm a lot as a way to prepare our hearts you know for what's what we're about to do and what we're about to um, engage in with the word of God. And so Psalm 119 uh, really presents the truthfulness and the fullness and the robustness of, of God's word and what God says about the words that he has spoken um, in, in Psalm 119 and also in Psalm 19. But I want to just share this with you this morning before we dive in and before we um, get in and we pray together. So Psalm 119.34 says this, says, Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in them. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Give me life. So all of those different terms that the psalmist used to refer to God's word, um, testimonies, commandments, law, um, what else? Precepts, rules. All of these things are ways in which we can describe God's word, and they all have wonderful benefits to them. And so as we dive in this morning, um, we are to look to God through his word to receive the benefits of his word, but not only to receive the benefits, but to gaze upon the truthfulness of who God is. Because we see God most clearly through the words that he has given us. We see God clearly through his revealed word that these are ultimately the words from the mouth of God. They are inspired by the spirit, not by men, but by God himself. And so, um, so let's pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for your word. And we thank you, God, for your revelation. And we thank you, God, for your commandments your, the commandments that guide our lives, the, the commandments that lead us into righteousness, the commandments that bring a sense of constraint to our living, that, that provide for us the guardrails for how we are to conduct our lives, uh, your commandments and your precepts 
and your law that, that, that gives life and that, that speaks to your righteousness and your perfectness and your impeccableness. God, I pray that as we search your word this morning, Lord God, that it would, it would cause in us tremendous um, transformation in the mind and in the heart. God, that there is no way we can gain understanding, you say, outside of your word. That we understand life and we understand um, where we've come. We understand all of these things. We understand your character and your nature and the essence of who you are through your word. So I ask, Lord, this morning that you would grant us clarity. And God, you would grace us with understanding of who you are by the power of your declared word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning, uh, we are continuing, like I said, in our series. And we're looking forward to something, right? The idea of Advent and the season of Advent is about looking forward to something, about an unveiling, about a revealing, about something that is coming or has come that we are anticipating this morning. And so last week, I asked you guys a question to kind of get your thoughts about um, anticipating the Christmas season. And so I want to ask you guys another question, sort of to grease the wheels a little bit this morning um, as we talk about um, God, indestructible hope in Christ. And here's the question. Um, how many of you are, are fans of uh, Christmas songs? Oh, okay, everybody. Okay, you're all human. Good, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I saw a couple hands that didn't go up, so I'm just, just maybe I'll, I'll just talk to you after church and find out what's, what, your, what the deal is. But... Um, yeah, so, I mean, pretty much everyone in here loves Christmas songs, right? I mean, where, at what point in time do we put the Christmas songs on in, in the house? Okay, what is it, July 4th? Okay, that's, well, that beat us, so that's, 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 that's pretty ambitious. That's pretty ambitious, yeah? Okay, July 4th, so right after all of the, the independence fanfare and songs, yeah, Yankee Doodle. You go from Yankee Doodle right into right into Santa Claus is coming to town. All right, anybody else? Late, earlier than July fourth? After Thanksgiving, okay. Anybody else? When do Christmas songs go on? Yeah, Thanksgiving. Okay, so um, let's just take a poll. Anybody favorite Christmas song? Red, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Anybody? No. Dennis, no. No, he's not digging. All right, give me a couple of your favorite Christmas songs that you anticipate every single year when the time comes around. Like, what are your favorites? Yeah. Jeez, you're just yelling out from the back there, you know? Jeez, you know, it's just a free-for-all around here. Silent Night. Away in a Manger. Mary, oh, there's a lot of controversy around that one, but yeah. What? I've never heard of that one. Christmas shoes. Okay. Wait, yeah. Oh, holy night. Should I sing it? No. Karen. Oh, I can just, we can just sing these for us. That's, that's a good one. Joy to the world. Are you, are you the same? Because we don't need them both. Are you sure? It could be. Ah, there we 
we go. <laughs> you guys are both on the same page. You didn't even realize it. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Anyway, David Bowie? Oh, okay. Okay, okay. Cool, cool. All right, last one. Anybody else? One more? Maybe one more that's not so... Pierre. <laughs> oh, man, what have I done? <laughs> Ugh, my ears still messed up. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Yeah, I've always, I always, when I was a kid, I always looked forward to hearing that one on the radio. Because it was always the most funniest. Yeah. Yeah. We're always, right, we're always looking forward. Like, every time Christmas comes around, right, we're always looking forward to those traditions. We're always looking, we're always anticipating the songs coming on. Uh, we're always anticipating all of those things that come with the Christmas season, right? And really, it's a picture, right, of, of, of the larger um, kind of thrust of the season, which is anticipating something much greater, right? Anticipating something much greater, anticipating an arrival, right? Anticipating the appearance of Christ. And that really finds no greater expression than in this season uh, that we're going through right now. Because Advent really is this expression of a fervent beholding of something that's coming, right? A dawning of something grand, you know? Uh, something magnificent, something we've never seen before. It's this celebration that we have uh, that's steeped in this emergence of a new reality. It is a new covenant that we are being ushered into when we uh, celebrate the coming of Christ. It's, it's a part of his eternal promise, and it causes our hearts, there we go, causes our hearts to abound, you know, with adoration to God, uh, who has promised Christ and who has delivered on that promise when he has come. And so this is kind of the Advent season. This is how we sum it up. And Advent, more than anything, in line with the message of Advent that we are going through over the next couple of week, weeks, Advent heralds the indestructible plan more than anything. It heralds this plan of God that is indestructible. And it's the plan of God in the arrival of Christ. And the arrival of Christ as the earth receives the king. The king. And we receive our savior. We receive our Messiah. We receive our Lord. And so with this time, we, we focus on this idea of God's indestructible narrative. What he has spoken is coming to pass. With this, with this eager expectation, we celebrate the Advent season and we're met with this reality that God has supremely determined the narrative of history. God has authored a story. God has authored a story from eternity past. From the very beginning, God is outside of time. And outside of that time, in eternity past, which we cannot fully understand, God has already authored a story. And that story comes to its culmination in this season right now when Christ comes to the earth. And he has authored the story that no man can alter, that no man can change, that no man can amend or adjust. This story is not dependent on man's free will or our choices. 
This story about Christ comes from God and will be exacted perfectly through his sovereignty and his rule in the purposes of his mission. So as we consider this morning, Christ's coming, Christ's coming from his glory, we're presented with this truth that God alone holds the exclusive right to fulfill all that he has spoken. He is meticulously accomplishing all that he has proclaimed from eternity past through the working of his indestructible plan culminating in Christ. Look at what Isaiah 55 says. We, we read this last week and I think it bears repeating when referring to God's indestructible plan. He says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose and shall succeed in the very thing for which I send it. So just as when the rain and the water, or when the water and the snow come from the sky, from the heavens, they come, they do not return the same way in which they came, but they come and they water the fields and they sprout up and they cause the land to sprout forth life. It is accomplishing the purposes for which it was sent. So it is with God's word when he declares his indestructible plan that cannot be thwarted by any man. And so this morning, we're going to look at this idea of God's indestructible hope. The magnificence of Advent heralds that God is not passive in his plans, nor is he indecisive like we are in his instructions. There are some times in, in my own life when I give my kids uh, a set of instructions and I and I fully intend to stay firm in that. But sometimes through coercion, I change my mind. Oftentimes it's with grace, more instances than others. We walked into the grocery store the other day after uh, taking her to dance class. I take her to dance uh, almost every Thursday night. Well, Shannon and I do it both. But So after class, we had to go uh, into to Hannaford, interestingly enough. And we saw, uh, actually, a, a, a friend of hers that was in, that's in her dance class was there. So we said, we said hi to them. Hey, how you doing? Da, da, da. So we're walking around the store, and, and Gracie looks over to me, and she's like, uh, can I get a snack? And I'm like, no, no. I'm like, we're going home. We'll be home in, in 10 minutes. We'll be home in 10 minutes. We're going to have dinner. You know, you can eat then. She's like, but, but you know, Dad, I just really want to, I, I think she was more forceful than that. I'm probably playing it off pretty lightly. Um, but she asked me again, I'm like, no, we don't need a snack. And so we get around to the, like the chip aisle. She's a big, she loves, she loves, um, the, what are those chips that are the, um, I'm trying the kettle cooked chips. You know what I mean? The really crunchy ones. Oh man. She's like, she loves those. And like her favorite version of them is like salt and vinegar. Oh man. She's like, I'm salt and vinegar. So she, I think she gets, she has too, but I think she gets it from me. So we're like walking around and I'm getting a couple things. And all of a sudden, guess what? We just pull up to this little thing and it's got Cape Cod chips right there and salt and vinegar is right there. 
And she's like, Daddy, look, it's like this chips right there. She's like, Do you think I can? And I'm like, Oh, fine. Fine, we'll get them. So I ended up getting her the salt and vinegar chips, and I ended up eating half of them on the way home. So it was awesome. <laughs> but I say that because I, my plan, right? My, my thought, my desire was like, No, we're not doing that. We don't need that. We don't need a snack. You're going to be home. You know, I kind of caved on that. And it's not to say that God doesn't work with us in that way. But when it comes to certain things, God is not indecisive, right? And his plans are perfect. And what he declares, he will bring to pass. And what he decides, he will bring to pass. And he's never indecisive about what he has spoken. He's never undecided or ambiguous about his ambitions, about his plan through Christ for you. And so... God desires us to live with a sense of indestructible hope this morning in Christ. And I think that couldn't be more um, relevant for our time together as we have prayed for one another and as we shared in our struggles with one another, as we are fully aware and clear on some of the struggles that our people are going through in our congregation this morning. That this idea of indestructible hope, I hope, lands on the hearts of the weary this morning, penetrates deeply and brings a sense of care and comfort and assurance that God has authored an indestructible hope through Christ that you have access to through faith this morning. So let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about his indestructible hope. Pierre, I'm just kind of skipping down a little bit just so you know. If we were to think on and conceptualize the biblical idea of hope, I think we've heard this talk many times. But we must not think of God's hope or the hope we have in Christ in the same terms that we would consider the world and how the world embraces the idea of hope. It is much different. How we see hope and the subject and the concept of hope is radically different than how the world sees it and how the world experiences it and how the world defines it. It is much different. The hope we find in Christ is not the hope that the world ascribes to. The hope we possess is one of confident assurance. Not one of whimsical thinking. Worldly hope teeters on wavering optimism. The world just simply looks at hope, hope as being optimistic. That's not how we deal with and how we understand the hope we have in Christ. We don't have to be optimistic in order to experience the indestructible hope of Christ in the season. It's not about being optimistic. But the world teeters on this, on, on this wavering optimism, this second guessing, externally confident, yet speculative doubt feeds the anxiety of the soul. That's how the world experiences hope. But that is not how we understand it. The world only knows of a skeptical yearning Supplied by nothing more than wishful thinking. That is the hope of the world. But that is not the hope of Christ. In other words, the world or the people 
in the world, the ones that we are ministering to, because they have no access to this indestructible hope, the world is continually wondering where they came from. Speculation abounds about the, the origins of society and the origins of the world and the origins of creation. And, 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 and speculation abounds about what we're here for and what our lives are meant for. And speculation abounds as to where we're going. The world has no assurance of where they came from, why they're here, and where they're going. Not so with the Christian. Not so with the church. For we know, because our hope is not wavering or teetering or filled with anxiety, it is anchored, it is tethered in the work of Christ, in the coming of Christ, and in the gospel of Christ. And so all the more reason for the church to go into the world that is riddled with anxiety and say, I know of a hope that you do not know of. I know of a hope that can deliver you. I know of a hope that is not based in speculation and whimsical thinking. I know of a hope that is steadfast and sturdy and unwavering. And that hope is in the person of Christ. But the world clings to a hope that really is dressed in volatility. Many pin their financial hopes on the unpredictableness of the lottery or scratch tickets or the stock market. I haven't bought a scratch ticket in probably 10 years, but my mom gives me one every single Christmas. You can always bet on when we get together with my mom both Shannon and I will have stockings. Yes, my mom still makes us stockings. I don't know if she still make. I don't know if your mom still makes you stockings, but I will never not appreciate my mom making me my stocking. And she still has my stocking from my childhood. It's a Patriots stocking with the old Patriots logo. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I wish she was here this morning. She'd be like bragging all about it. But I, you can always guarantee there's. A thing of lottery tickets, scratch tickets. She gets them every year, and Shannon and I will we'll sit down and we'll we'll open up the stocking and then <laughs> and we'll be like, okay, we know these scratch tickets are coming. Let's get a penny because we don't like have coins in the house, like we don't have any money in the house, right? So we're like urgently looking for a penny, and usually Nick always has a penny, gives us a penny, and we'll like oh, just eagerly scratch off those tickets, like, oh man, maybe it's a hundred bucks, maybe it's a thousand dollars. I think the most we ever won was like 20 bucks, right? But there's, there's this sense of hope, right? When you pull, pull out the thing like, hey, maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day I get the 20,000. You know, hey, that might help a little bit, right? But there is this hope, this, it's, it's you know, it, it is um, a temporary hope in that, in that lottery ticket um, that pales in comparison to what we have in him. But so many people, they find security uh, even in erratic relationships, turbulent careers. Um, others find shelter in the form of spirituality whose truth conforms to the conditions of their life, right? There's no absolute truth. There's no absolute assurance. But not us. We have a hope 
that is attained and comes through a Christ-assured expectation, a Christ-centered confidence, a Christ-saturated trust. That is the essence of our hope that cannot be thwarted. And it's the pinnacle of God's promise, the coming of Christ. It's the dawning of indestructible hope producing this this adoration, this adoration, this Christ-exalting adoration that only comes through the hope we find in him. And why is this? Well, it is because Christ has come and has done the work and has gone to the cross and has accomplished for us what we could not accomplish ourselves. And that is to be reconciled with God through the forgiveness of our sin and salvation. That is our hope. That is what it comes from. That is where it's tethered to. That is the, the well and uh, the, the, the cavern of riches that springs forth the hope that is in Christ. Look at what, um, what Matthew says in Matthew chapter 1. And, and, and I will say, I think sometimes, every time Wendy shares a passage, I think it's, it never fails. I have it in my message. It's so weird. The last time you shared it, it was out of Titus chapter 2, I think or Titus chapter 3, and I have that same passage in my notes. So I'm just going to repeat what it is that Wendy shared with us this morning um, out of Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 19 uh, to 25 or so. So if you want to turn with me there, it's part of the Christmas story that I'd like to read together. Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to start in 18 actually. It says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He did not want to make a spectacle of what was taking place, but he resolved to to leave the situation quietly instead of making a big deal out of it. But as he considered, and Joseph by law could have... Um, could have exited that betrothal um, because, well, let me just say briefly, in the Hebrew culture, um, being betrothed was essentially being married. You were legally bound to that person even before you went through the process of being married. So Joseph could have ended the engagement, ended the commitment, ended that relationship, and he could have done it quietly, or he could have done it uh, boastfully, he could have done it out in the open, he could have made a big deal out of it, but he didn't. He resolved himself to do it quietly and to not put her to shame. But as he considered these things, God comes through, uh, through his angels and says, Behold, an angel of the Lord uh, appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And the reason why his name will be Jesus is because he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. In Isaiah chapter 7, we read this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, 
and he had called his name Jesus. And so Joseph here was had uh, one plan. He was determined to do one thing that was in, in accord with the law, with the cultural customs. And God had come in and, and, and through a dream and spoke to Joseph through an angel. And, 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 and he said to Joseph, you know, he reassured Joseph of his indestructible plan to bring Christ to the earth. And so Joseph hears this. Joseph considers this in his heart. And Joseph changes his mind. And Joseph goes through with the marriage to Mary. But it is the hope that we find in Christ is through the work that he's done on our behalf. What is it that is so important about what the angel uh, showed to, to um to Joseph, he says this, he says, here is where it all comes together. He says, you know, she is going to be, uh, she's going to have a son from the Holy Spirit and she will bear that son. And this is what you will name him for he will save his people from their sin. And so we find our hope in Christ because of the reality of what he has done through the power of the gospel this morning. The nature of our indestructible hope not only finds its substance simply in the gospel of Christ and the power of the cross and its vocation and its work of forgiveness, but the other thing we have to understand about this hope is that it is a forward-looking hope. It's established in the track record of God to accomplish with all absoluteness all that he has purposed for you and for me. The ultimate focus of our hope is Christ's return. Although we see him and we celebrate his arrival now and what he's done, what he's accomplished, and we celebrate God's indestructible plan and the hope that comes with that plan and seeing Christ come and live and die and go to the cross and be buried and be raised for our justification, for our hope, for our salvation, he comes and does all of these things. And so our hope relies in that indestructible plan of God that he brought through Christ. There's also a forward-looking hope that we have not been able to understand and receive yet, but we will one day when he returns. So the ultimate focus of hope is Christ's return. Our confident assurance that is not like the world is drenched in this plan of God and the promise of God and the season of Christmas. Why? Because God always does what he says he will do. If God does not do what he says he will do, he cannot be God. God works every purpose perfectly through the counsel of his will impeccably, without fail, without flaw, without blemish. And so we trust in that indestructible hope this morning. It is a hope that not only has been tethered to the season, but ultimately looks forward to him returning. This is how Paul puts it in Romans 8, 22 to 25. He says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together 
in the pains of childbirth until now. The whole creation, including me and you, were groaning together with creation for the coming and the arrival of Christ when he returns. So the groaning and all of that that comes with it, it is like the pains of childbirth, the earth, along with everyone in it, everyone who has put their faith in Christ is going through a sense of groaning that looks and feels in some sense like childbirth as we await Christ returning to bring the fullness of his glory as the king of the earth. He says this, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. So the indestructible hope that is now, that we see in Christ now, comes to its greatest fulfillment when he returns. And what happens? We groan for a body that cannot be destroyed. We groan for a body that we will live in eternity with Christ forever. And so until that point, we groan in these bodies of death, awaiting a body that will be resurrected. And it's not a different body. This body that you have is going to be the same body that is resurrected with Christ. You think about when Christ went to the grave. And when he was resurrected and he appeared to his disciples and he showed them his hands. What were in his hands? What? The nail holes, right? He had the same body. Same body with the nail holes. Resurrected. Eternal. And Christ lives in that state with that resurrected body as fully man, as truly man, and as truly God at the same time. And we will one day join him with these bodies. I hope my body is like a 25-year-old body. Not a 46-year-old body. I don't know. I wish the Bible would be more clear about that. Exactly. But as Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things of the Lord belong to the Lord. We need not speculate about these things, although it is fun sometimes. Man, that'd be great to have a toy. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. But it is true that the culmination, this, this hope that we have is both, but now, but looking forward to, Paul says, as we eagerly await what adoption, right? We are adopted into the family of God, but that comes to its full expression when we see him return and he calls the church to himself in eternity. And that salvation finds its full expression in that same place. And not only that, our resurrected bodies come with it as well. So we will see Christ and know Christ and be with him. And no longer will we need to hope for anything because we will be with him face to face. We will no longer need to live by faith, but we will live by sight. Right now we live by faith. We cannot live by sight. But when Christ returns, when the hope of Christ comes to its fullest expression, we no longer have to live by faith. We no longer have to hope for anything. But we will have him and see him and live with him and be with him face to face in a brand new body. Yes. And so Christmas is the picture of that. It is, in a sense, a foreshadowing of what is still to come when we receive him in his fullness. 
Paul goes on to say, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, right? We don't have to hope for things we see, for we hope for what, uh, sorry, for who hopes for what he sees? Nobody. Man, at Christmas time, when I get to the tree and I'm hoping for, man, a new iPad or something, I'm really excited. I'm hoping for that. But as soon as I unwrap that thing and I realize how amazing my wife is to get me a new iPad, whatever, air for, for Christmas, I no longer have to hope. I have it right there. It is in front of me. My hands are laid on it. I don't have to hope for anything. I have it face to face. I am in the presence of it. It is a beautiful thing. It is the same but even much greater with him. See, God promised to send Christ. I want you to think about this for a moment. God promised to send Christ. And our hope, which looks forward to his return, is built upon the confident assurance of what has already taken place at Christmas. See, this is so key. This is why Christmas is so critical. Right? Because it gives us a confident assurance, right? That God is not done, that, but that God has promised something in Christ and He fulfilled that promise. And so, if God promised Christ, right? And Christ comes and lives among us, and God promised to send Christ, and He did, and then Christ promises to come again, which He has, then we have confident assurance and indestructible hope of that future reality right now. See, we know our future. We know our future. The world does not, but we do. All the more reason for us to share Christ in this season with those who don't. So our hope is not conceived in speculation nor are the terms of this hope established in hypothetical scenarios, groundless claims, or theoretical arguments. That is not the basis of our hope. That is not the wellspring of our hope. That is not the foundation of this indestructible plan. Our hope is saturated in the indestructible plan of God demonstrated by the arrival of Christ serving as the pinnacle of his promise and causing in the hearts of all who have received redemption through his name an all-satisfying hope permeating adoration. That is the hope that we have as the church. That is the hope we celebrate in the coming of Christ. And I'll leave you with Colossians chapter 1 this morning, verses 24 to 29. Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Look at that. The hope of glory. What is our hope this morning? Christ in us. That is our hope this morning. Therefore, he says... And this is a charge 
to us. It is him we proclaim. It is him we proclaim as a Christian, as a believer. Our lives should be marked with proclaiming Christ to the world. He says this, it is him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. God, or Paul, is proclaiming Christ to the church. Why? So they were brought to the fullness of maturity. Why? So that they would take the message of the gospel and they would then themselves proclaim it to those who have not heard. This is the indestructible hope that we have in him. It is the message of Christ in us, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Eternally with Christ, knowing where we're going, understanding the fullness of the gospel, understanding what we have in him, relishing in that, adorning that, and causing that to be the basis of the adoration and of our praise for Christ in this season. Amen? Let's stand.